All rise. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The Honorable United States Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces is now open and in session. God save the United States of America in this honorable court. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Criminal Law Department Presents Podcast. We are coming to you from the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School here in Charlottesville, Virginia. We release a new episode every other Wednesday, so thank you for being here. Some of our episodes are calf chats. These are 15-minute-ish episodes discussing recent opinions published by the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces, and we will also be doing select topics related to the military justice system. We call these military justice grab bag episodes, and if you have an idea for an episode, we would love to hear from you. So connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, and links to both of those are in the show notes of this episode. Now, before we jump into today's episode of Calf Chats, a quick warning. This case does contain a discussion of facts that have adult material in them, so you may not want the kiddos to hear this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Let's jump in. All right, hello. It's Major Steve Dre here and... Major Cal Walters. Cal Walters. I can't believe it. Uh, here to talk United States versus Thompson uh, for an episode of Calf Chats, right? We don't have a we don't have a case a case citation yet. It's just sort of XXMJ XX for now. Calf 2022 came out in November. The first opinion of Calf's October 2022 term. This is hot off the press. Let's talk about it, Cal. What's going on? What's this case about? All right. So in its most basic terms, it's whether the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals erred in conducting their factual sufficiency review. So this is all about factual sufficiency. So for those of you that don't know anything about that, we're going to jump into that today. Let me give you quickly just the facts of the case from kind of the trial level. So the accused, now the appellant, initially contacted a victim through an online dating service, Bumble, back in March 2019. And her dating profile said that she was 19 years old and that she was a college student, but she was actually a 15-year-old girl living with her mother and stepfather on Aviano Air Force Base. Now, over the next several months, the appellant and the victim exchanged hundreds of different electronic messages, and then they met in person and engaged in sexual activity on four different occasions. And then when the appellant was brought in by Air Force investigators to be interviewed, he lied about what happened. So at the trial court level, the military he went before a military judge, not a panel, and he pled not guilty. And the military judge found him guilty of one specification of false official statement, one specification of sexual assault of a child who had attained the age of 12 years old, but had not attained the age of 16 years old. And then one specification of producing child pornography. And those were in violation of articles 107, 120 Bravo, and 134 of the UCMJ. And the judge sentenced him to a dishonorable discharge, confinement for 12 months, and reduction to the grade of E1. So we're dealing, in this case, we're dealing with the defense of mistake of fact as to age. So this is a child offense. And under Article 120 Bravo, it defines a child as a person who has not attained the age of 16 years. So if the defense 
wants to raise the defense of mistake of fact as to age, the accused has to prove by a preponderance of the evidence that the accused reasonably believed that the child had attained the age of 16. A burden for a defendant on a defense. That's not, uh, or an accused, right? That's not common. What, Cal? Quiz? Pop quiz. Uh-oh. What's the, what's the, other, what's the other defense that puts a burden on an accused to prove a trial? That would be lack of mental responsibility. And heck yeah, mental responsibility. That's right. So, what does he need to prove it by? You know, clear and convincing evidence. Yeah, 100%. A All plus. right. That's right. So, yeah, most that, other, well, because most other defenses, right? It just needs to be raised by the evidence, right? And it can come from the accused. Uh, or it could co- it could come from the government. It could come from the court martial. Ju- any question that that comes into the court martial itself could raise a defense, right? An affirmative or special defense we call them. That then the government needs to disprove beyond a reasonable doubt. But that's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with one of a few exceptions. The accused in this case had the burden to prove by a preponderance of the evidence that uh, his mistake of fact, right, that that he mistook this child victim, that he thought that she was 16 or older, and this defense was available to him because she was 12 to 15, right? That's right. Yeah. And see, that's why- oh, Sorry that's to cut why, you off. No, that's why it's good to listen to calf chats because you get that kind of important trivia information. So now you know. So when calf was looking at the- Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals decision, and we'll get into more about specifically what they were looking at. But factually, they were looking at the evidence in the record at the CCA level. And so the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals had a good bit of information or or evidence in the record related to this issue of mistake of fact as to age. Let me just share some of what was in the record Uh, So she consistently, the victim, consistently held herself out to be at least 16 years old on social media platforms and dating applications. There was no, during all these different Bumble messages, hundreds of Bumble messages, there was no discussion of her age. There was kind of an absence of evidence there. There were a number of different examples in the messages that would make it reasonable to believe that she was over 16. So her account itself, we already talked about that. It said that she was 18 and in college, the messages reflect that she said she was drinking alcohol a good bit. They also, in in those messages, she was also talking about her relationships with other older men. And she talks about consuming edibles that presumably were, were drugs. And she mentions taking college classes, and she even mentions that she was leaving Italy to go to London and Germany for weeks at a time, which presumably someone who's under 18 would be in class at the time. So there's a good bit of evidence in the record to talk about this mistake of fact as to age defense. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot there to show that a reasonable person could conclude that this victim was 16 or older, right? That's right. Yep. But Cal. What did the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals do? The Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals found that it was factually sufficient, but the issue was some of the language that they used. Yeah, so the CAF granted to determine if the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals erred by requiring that the appellant introduce direct evidence of his subjective belief to meet his burden. 
for a reasonable mistake of fact defense. And so let's talk real quickly about the two parts of a mistake of fact defense. Here, we're talking mistake of fact about age for this type of victim. The accused would need to show that it was both objectively reasonable, that's one problem, and two, subjectively honest, right? That it was honest and reasonable. And it seems like from their opinion that the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals at least acknowledged there was a lot of direct evidence about the reasonableness of a mistake effect to age here, but not necessarily that it was honest and particular to the accused here. And so the CAF granted to figure out if if they conducted the right analysis. That's right. It all hinges over whether the way that the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals did their factual sufficiency analysis was correct, which begs the question, well, what is a factual sufficiency? So I know, Steve, you've actually worked at DAD. So tell us what is factual sufficiency all about and why do our courts even do that? Yeah. So great question, Callan. One that I think if you're out there okay, and you're a trial practitioner, and you're thinking to yourself, what is factual sufficiency? What I'm sure that it means uh, perhaps perhaps there are many different uh, understandings of what it could mean. Maybe we have a lot of practitioners out there that don't realize that the CCAs, right, the Court of Criminal Appeals, that first level of appellate court does these. But Article 66, which is the governing guiding statute of the Court of Criminal Appeals, all every service has their own, the Navy and Marine, they sh- the and Marine Corps, they share one, but there are four CCAs, and each of those four conducts a factual sufficiency review for cases that come up to them for review. And that is them determining individually, as I mean, as a panel, but that they personally are convinced of an appellant's guilt. So they have to, the evidence in the record that they're reading, that written record that the CCAs are looking at, it has to personally convince them of the guilt of the accused. And so that's a pretty unique power, right? Like you said that, you said it's history. I mean, I suppose like we won't have a super long history lesson here, but it's been, it's something that the CCAs have done since they were created by statute. And there's, uh, it's addressing some concern about UCI it certainly mitigates the fact that the military for its as long as we've been doing court martials has not had unanimous verdicts right that's another issue that i'm sure we'll talk about this we'll, we'll talk about soon because there anderson is going to come out someday um right so it's a protective tool it's a, i would say it's a paternalistic tool that prevents injustices happening. It's just a recognition that military courts have some different aspects to them that other jurisdictions, other state and other federal jurisdictions don't have. And so it's a unique power. It was recently, as of January 1st, 2021, it was amended. Congress amended it. It took some of the teeth out of it. We haven't had a ton. I haven't, I'm not aware of any cases out there where the appellate courts are wrestling with the new language very much. But just be aware that this power requires the each panel of a CCA to look at the evidence, the paper evidence and the paper record and be personally convinced of guilt. So that is, you know, just the takeaway is unique power, significant power. And, you know, just recognize, too, that appeals are different than trial and 
many important ways, but the most significant is that, you know, an appeal is, is that cold record, right? Where they are reading words, they're not watching witnesses. And so there's an admonition in this, an admonishment in the statute that directs them to sort of acknowledge that they haven't, they're not watching and hearing the witnesses themselves, but it's not that, you know, what that means isn't necessarily clear. It's a little ambiguous. It's just a, Hey, keep this in the back of your mind. Maybe you're not the best determiner of credibility, but it's something that the CCAs are doing in every case that goes up there. And so what this case about is not necessarily the mistake of fact defense as a place. It's not necessarily a review of their decision on the facts as much as it is whether they applied the right legal principles. That's the issue here is that the it wasn't clear from their written opinion that this that the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals applied the right legal principles in determining their in making their determination that this was factually sufficient. So that's a lot. Uh, you know, there's and there's there's more to it, it's more complicated, but I'm not sure that every practitioner out there, especially junior counsel at the trial level, are aware of this robust power duty that the CCAs have to review for factual sufficiency. So anyway, Cal. Yeah. Really interesting. And uh, honestly, as a as a trial previous trial counsel, uh, never worked at the appellate division, um, but this case helped me better understand factual sufficiency. And and you're right, Steve. So so CAF because it's a CAF case is looking at whether the CCA in this case the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals had the correct application of legal principles. So they're not doing their own factual sufficiency, as Steve already said. They are just looking at whether the the way in which they the law that they used was correct. And when CAF does that, and just like they did in this case, they start with a presumption that the CCA they know the law. And they're following the law. And so it's really a question of whether the record reveals that in some way the CCA misunderstood the law. And if that's the case, if there's something in the record, if it's silent, then okay, there's not much we can do with it. But if there's something in the record, the CCA record that shows, hey, they don't seem to understand the law correctly, then CAF can remand the case for another factual sufficiency review. Uh, they can also do that if there's an what they call an open question of whether the CCA applied the correct view of the law. So if it's clear that they applied the wrong law, they can remand it. Or if it's just ambiguous, they can re- they can remand it for another determination. And so that's what they're doing here. They're looking at whether the way the CCA reviewed the factual sufficiency of this case was legally correct. And the problem, Steve. Is that there's some language that the CCA uses related to this mistake of fact defense that begs the question of whether they're using the correct law. Yeah, exactly. And and you said it. And an interesting bit about this that I'll just mention briefly is that we should appreciate the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals here because they showed their work. They they don't the the, the courts of criminal appeals are not required to analyze their decision making process. The Air Force Court could have just affirmed this without comment. They can say, okay, the, you know, recognizing that the appellant assigned some errors, but we're affirming this case without much discussion. There's no, there's no obligation that they write this stuff down. And so Cal, you just said it, that if there's some indication in the record that perhaps they applied the wrong legal principles, that's when, that's when the CAF can review it. Uh, that, and that, that's when the CAF can, can take some action. And here, 
PICAF looks at the some language, some specific language that the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals used in its analysis, and, and it caused the CAF some concern. And that language here is, after it's discussing the direct evidence about the reasonableness, the objective reasonableness of, of the accused's understanding of the victim's age, then it's got this bit in here. It's got, there's no direct evidence that this belief existed in the appellant's mind. And then there's some more language and then says, and as such, the defense failed to meet its burden to demonstrate by a preponderance of the evidence. So there's a lot going on there, but there, the Air Force Court sort of acknowledges that there is, there's evidence out, there's direct evidence out there, there's good evidence out there demonstrating a reasonable mistake of fact, but there's nothing out there that, there's no direct evidence that the appellant personally, honestly thought that this victim was over the age of consent. And that could look, and really, I think I can think of really two ways that they could do that. And under that analysis is like a, either the accused testifying or some sworn statement to Air Force OSI or something where, where he said, well, I thought she was 16, 17, 18, 19. That's, but, but what the calf's says is that's not required. We don't need, or the, an accused doesn't need to testify. An accused doesn't need to give a statement about an accused's honest belief of something. The CAF is saying, you know, you can't, you can use direct evidence. You can use circumstantial evidence. It doesn't need to be direct evidence. We don't need the accused to testify. And that's that legal principle that they're, they're saying, we're not sure the Air Force Court didn't in its mind think that they needed to see direct evidence of an accused's honest belief of a fact. That's that's what this case is about, is that Air Force, you're sort of indicating you use the wrong principle. And so because of that, Cal, you said it, what does the CAF do here? Yeah. So because there's this open question, CAF sets aside the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals decision and they remand it back to the CCA to do a new factual sufficiency review, but making sure that they specifically ap apply the correct legal principles, making sure that they're not, like we already talked about, that there's no requirement that it the honest portion of that mistake of fact come from direct evidence. It can come from circumstantial evidence. It can come from the defense, the government, or the court-martial itself. So making sure they apply that correct principle. So they're sending it back and saying, hey, do this again and make sure you do it right. Yeah. So an important, let me just jump in real quick, Cal. Just, you know, the CAF is not, they're not second guessing a, the CCA's personal decision about whether this was factually sufficient, right? It's, it's, it's more nuanced than that. They are just saying, we're not sure you use the right principles in coming to your conclusion. It's an important, maybe subtle difference, but it's important. They're not just saying, hey, we disagree with your factual determinations here. We think that they're not saying we think that this was honest and was reasonable. And so therefore you should have uh, reversed for factual insufficiency. We're just saying we think you used the wrong principle in your analysis. So here you go. We're remanding it. Look at it again and make sure you use this, the correct legal principle, which is the accused, there doesn't need to be direct evidence from an accused about the the honesty of their mistake effect. So just an important distinction uh, it, and hopefully clarifies like exactly what's going on in the in the appellate sense. But I think this case, although this there's a lot of discussion about factual sufficiency, that's really what this case is all about, which is probably maybe more helpful for appellate attorneys and those at the appellate level than the trial attorneys. But I think it's a good reminder 
couple of takeaways I think for everyone is the actual test for factual sufficiency. It's whether after weighing the evidence in the record of trial and making allowances for not having personally observed the witnesses that the members of the CCA are themselves convinced of the accused guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's one big takeaway. That's a test for factual sufficiency that's done by the CCA. Another takeaway is just a reminder of the difference between direct and circumstantial evidence. And that's something that we often hear in panel instructions, but it's a reminder that even at the appellate level, they're looking at that. And a reminder of the defense, a mistake of fact as to age. That's something that the the defense has to actually, the accused has to raise by preponderance of the evidence. And there's two parts of it. It's got to be honest and it's got to be reasonable, but that can be found from either direct or circumstantial evidence. So lots of uh, interesting kind of appellate issues here, but and also some takeaways for, I think, at the trial level. Yeah, absolutely, Cal. Those are good takeaways. I, I do want to foot stomp here, though, and just uh, the... The Article 66, Congress amended it, effective January 1, 2021. So that standard, that factual sufficiency standard at the CCA level is different. We're just not, I'm not sure what it'll necessarily look like, sort of remains to be seen because of the, you know, the sort of uh, aftershock of a a change. Takes a while to filter it up to these appeals. So we'll know more about what the CAF's understanding of what the CCA should be doing and what the CCA's really understanding of what they should be doing for factual sufficiency review will look like going forward, but for cases before that January 1, 2021 change. And Steve, uh, my understanding is the intent for CAF chats, we're going to start pushing out episodes on all the new CAF cases. So this is one of the, the first cases out in this new term, and we will continue to push out podcast episodes to give you an overview of cases as they come out. Yeah, for sure, Cal. Thanks for mentioning. Yeah, the point here is to keep us updated, right? If you're out there, these cases are coming out. This came out in November. There's another case uh, day that that came out in December. And then we just had what we're, we're recording this on the 17th and a case just got pushed out. So our, our, pl- our goal is to have these episodes out soon after the CAF publishes cases so you can stay up to date because the law changes, right? All right. Thanks, Steve. Right. Good to see Thanks, you, Thanks, Cal. <laughs> yeah, good to see you too. Thanks, counsel, for both sides. And the court will stand in recess until further order of the court.